Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, two man car, Ruben and Jesse. And we are 10 8 for Jesus. Good morning, Jesse. How you doing, sir? I am reporting for duty, sir. I am 10-8 for Jesus and Our Lady and uh, Reuben. I'm energized. I'll tell you why. Because uh, spiritually, uh, I think the Lord is uh, is going to do something big in our land in these elections. I just see uh, the pro-life, pro-family, pro-God, uh, you know, pro-faith pro, movement. Uh, they seem to, to be right now ahead in this horse race because it is a horse race because the other side steals elections so i'm feeling pretty good right now i've been keeping track because remember as catholics yes we're citizens of heaven i get that ephesians chapter 2 but we're also citizens on planet earth so we have to concern ourselves about the things that are happening here until the lord calls us home so one of the things that does concern us reuben you and me have had conversations for about the last 30 years off and on about the state of the church post-1965, post-Vatican II. I mean, this is not a new topic for you or, or myself. There's a priest, friend of mine, he's a, he's a traditional Catholic priest, his name's Father John Perico, and he's from the East Coast. And what he did, he took a look at a, at a book that was released by George Weigel, who's kind of an establishment, uh, he's an establishment Catholic theologian, you know, uh, He's, uh, you know, one of those guys that cheerleads all things modernist uh, post-1965. And so Father John Perrone kind of takes issue or does take issue with the book that George Weigel just wrote. It's called To Sanctify the World, The Vital Legacy of Vatican II. Are you kidding me? The vital legacy of, I don't know what what world uh, George Weigel lives in, but the world that I've seen, here's what I've seen George Weigel. I saw that prior to 1965, I saw 75% of American, American Catholics, that's three out of four Catholics, were attending Holy Mass on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, women were wearing veils. Uh, people knew their Baltimore catechism fairly well. Question and answer, question and answer. Well, post-1965, right now we have about 11 to 12% of Catholics uh, are going to Mass on Sunday, and most Catholics are so uh, so. Uh, poorly catechized, I'll give you an example. Exhibit A, Joe Biden. Exhibit B, Nancy Pelosi. Exhibit C, Anthony Fauci. Exhibit exhibit, uh, D, uh, you know, uh, John Kerry. I mean, we can go on and on. So when George Weigel talks about the vital legacy of Vatican II, uh, I live in the same world that he does. What's he talking about? It's been a nightmare. It's been... it, there's been a collapse of our Catholic faith. So let me just we'll start, jump into this article. It, it's called Vatican II at 60. Stop the cheerleading by Father John Perricone. Uh, he says, it left much of the Catholic world slightly confused, except for that dwindling minority still starstruck by Vatican II's promise of a new Pentecost. Right. Far, be it, far be it from any faithful Catholic to call into question its legitimacy or validity. By the way, Bishop Schneider just wrote a book also taking on the whole idea of a new Pentecost. And he says, Bishop Schneider's latest book is basically, uh, we're still waiting for the new Pentecost because the church seems to be in free fall. Wow. Yeah, it's true. 
Yeah, yeah, just George Weigel. I mean, he's 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 written a, a ton of books. I think something like 30, 31 books. And he, the author of the best-selling biography of Pope John Paul II, Witness to Hope and Tranquilitas Ordinis. Um, so, yeah, he is one of those new neocons that um, all everything Vatican II. And uh, he's a uh, distinguished fellow, senior fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Oh, yeah, of so course. He's, he's got all these titles and... So, you know, he's well known. So you can't question him. You can't right. question him. Look <laughs> at all the titles he's got. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well, yeah, like you said, where is the new Pentecost? We haven't seen it. You know, you, Jesus said by your by their fruit, you shall know them. And yeah, uh, that's we simple. Have, we have. So, no that, fruit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would say, you know, Ruben, Father Dave Nix has a. Well, let's go through this article that I'm going to give you okay. Father Dave Nick's article at the end in segment okay. two. Let me just read that second okay. paragraph. It says, okay. with that full disclosure out of the way, isn't it possible after 60 years to ask some quite relevant questions about ex- expediency or its design? It seems Mr. Weigel is of a generation that accepted uncritically the Weltemschung, which means uh, the, the, worldview of in, the worldview of an individual or a particular philosophy or, or view of life. So he accepts the the worldview of a mid-20th century European Catholic elite still swooning over Roncalli's mirage, that's John the 23rd, of aggiornamento, which means uh, bring up to date or update the church or update the church's teachings. Yeah. Go ahead, Ruben. It could also mean uh, it it was used to mean uh, the spirit of change and open-mindedness, you know. Okay. So... um, he goes on to say, call to mind that it was entirely of a piece with the dizzying headiness of going to the moon, supercomputers, the age of Aquarius. Yeah, it was probably Jesse's favorite song. <laughs> uh, who was how did, how did you know? <laughs> You've been looking at my playlist. Yeah. Um, you know, the age of Aquarius, that's just the, the time of rebirth, renewal. Um, and then uh, a time of intoxications of Tilhard de Chardin and his beloved new sphere. There's another name, a Vatican II named Tilhard de Chardin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was a visionary French Jesuit, paleontologist, biologist, uh, philosopher who spent the bulk of his, of his life trying to integrate religious experience with natural science and uh, most specifically Christian theology with theories of evolution. So that should tell you something about him. And there's mm. Karl Rahner and his anonymous Christian Hans von Balthasar Apocostatesis. That means everybody's going to be saved. All be, everybody's yep. going to be saved at the end. I hope that yeah, all men will be saved, and uh, it's that it's a form of like Christian universalism, just that includes the ultimate salvation of everyone. So yep, uh, which is a, which is even, a heresy. It's a heresy. Yeah, condemned by councils. Yeah, and even more, uh, Sister Corita Kent's "Damn Everything But the Circus." Uh, uh, I believe it was a, a, a paint, some painting she did, if I'm not mistaken. Harvey's Cox's uh, secu- Secular City, Rogerian, Self-Actualized Man. And who could who could forget the, forget the new frontiers of John Robinson's Honest to God? So the father who's writing this, he, he knows a lot about these different things, these different things that were coming These up. are all the 60s, 70s, you know, pop icons. Yeah. Yeah. And there were times that left men dreamy dreams, and every one of them became a night. Out of his fanciful period was Vatican II conveyed. Sadly, it allowed its antinomian, which 
Another big word that he uses, uh, it's just a person who maintains that Christians, by virtue of divine grace, are freed not only from biblical law and church-prescribed behavioral norms, but also from moral law. In other words, an antinomian sees himself as under no obligation to follow any type of moral code. He's completely free. Which is a heresy. It's a, that's a first and second century heresy, the antinomian heresy. Yeah. All, all these heresies keep cropping up, Ruben, post-1965. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, we see the Jehovah's Witness. That's, you know, Arianism all, all over again. Right. <clears throat> Exuberance of the age to fall like magical dust on more than a few of the council's principal architects. When Pope John XXIII announced his intention to summon the council, Cardinal, Cardinal Heenan of London warned this is tempting the Holy Ghost. Why <laughs> such a monition uh, from an otherwise prim and circumspect British prince of the church? Councils were only convened to confront great crises threatening the church, right? Like like the Council of Trent, you know, we had the, the Protestant Reformation that came, <clears throat> it responded to that. Um, right. Where was the crisis compelling this one? No Catholic could see one, but an elite Illuminati did. Mm. The article says, Father Pericone writes, it seems as though Mr. Weigel, again, he's a establishment, uh, you know, all things Vatican II theologian. It seems as though Mr. Weigel has been swept up in the dreamscape of that Catholic cognoscenti, which means intelligent people. You know, he's part of the intelligent crowd of Catholics. After citing Pope John's opening address about the council's greatest concern, Presenting more fully the sacred deposit of Christian doctrine. That's what John the 23rd said. Mr. Weigel goes on to say that that would not happen, however, if the church merely guarded this. Then he quotes uh, John the 23rd again. Precious treasure as if we were only concerned with an antiquity. Weigel proceeds to explain, nor would it suffice to repeat familiar formulas of faith like those in the simple question and answer catechisms that Catholics had long known, for an otherwise sterling Orthodox Catholic thinker, those are strange words indeed. How else can one explain them except to wonder that perhaps he inhaled too much of the unquestionable assumptions of the European uh, ben, ben Pensant, which means right thinking or orthodoxy? How else to comprehend this counterintuitive and utterly ahistorical defense of Roncalli's myopic vision? John the 23rd knew that the defense of Catholicism, of the Counter-Reformation, however successful a salvage operation, had run its course. It was time to raise the bastions that Catholicism has erected and turn its robust institutions into platforms for evangelization and mission in order to engage a deeply troubled modern church. The church he believed existed to proclaim and compassionately witness the Christian truth for the world's healing and sanctification it could not hide that truth like the frightened servant in Christ's parable of the talents. Here's where they got it wrong. You could, we could have done both at the same time. We could have continued doing apologetics and defending our faith against the Protestant errors and also engage in evangelization and bringing holiness to the world. If one doesn't disqualify the other, Reuben, we could have done both, and we should have been doing both, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Ruben Ava. We're talking about... Father John Pericone, his take on, uh, he says, Vatican II at 60. Stop, stop the cheerleading. He's pointing out some of the problems. We'll continue. We'll be right back. Stick around.
now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two Mac car, Jesse and Ruben. We're talking about Father Paracone's uh his article on uh, Vatican II. It's the title is Vatican II at 60, stop cheerleading. <laughs> it's been 60 years already, Jesse. My goodness. And right. and, and and there well, I think Pope Francis and uh and his staff are starting are trying to do Vatican III. What do I mean by that? Yeah. This whole this whole synod of synodality, Ruben, this is what it is. It is Vatican III. And what they want to do is because they didn't go far enough for their liking, for their taste, they want to finish up what they started at Vatican II. And, uh, and I mean, th- this is what we're seeing right now. In fact, the Pope has actually extended it another year. So this is just like, it's just as long as the council. It's going to be about a, th- a two or three year uh, a synod, a synodality, where people are discussing changing church, the church's teachings. Uh, yeah, this is, th- this is the Trojan horse in the city of God right now. Go ahead. I, and you see what that synod did on, in Germany, the, these, the cardinals and Bishops up there want to do same-sex uh, unions and uh, just just outright uh, blatant heresy. Ruben, the the the, the synod of synodalities is like throwing an atom bomb into a city. It's just it's just breeding chaos, destruction, and confusion. Yeah, you can't tell the church, oh, uh, or you know, the lady, hey, what would you like to see? Because <laughs> the lady, you pointed out how many. People are going to mass these days, so they're not going to be in a, a prepared to give a, a good answer to that because everybody takes the least path of resistance. So yes, they're going to, because well, the lady is going to want to sing as the opening song, "The Age of Aquarius." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jess is going to hum a few bars at the end of the segment. Okay. All right. Um, Go ahead. So he says, Mr. Weigel seems to be parroting the old thinking of the Septuagintarian and Octogenarian shepherds in the church. Old this, old guard, this old guard is presently uh, splenetic uh, at the cry of young Catholics for their undiluted ancient faith rather than the synodal way that is so giddily embraced and tight-fistedly enforced by their betters. And I was, and Jesse, I just came to mind that we're going to have these two young guys on that I had a few, oh, on yeah, a few weeks right. ago. And we're going to talk to them about their love for the Latin mass. This, these wow. guys are 18 and 21 years old. Oh, so, so when you, when you, uh, you get these, these people thinking that's only the old folks like Jesse and I that, yeah. that are, are attached to this mass, uh, you couldn't be further, it could be further from the truth. So that's he right. goes on to say, how could someone as gifted as Mr. Weigel repeat without embarrassment Ron Colley's indictment of 500 years of post-Reformation Catholicism as guarding a precious treasure as though it were an antiquity? He knows better than most St. Most, Paul's mandate to Timothy, custodi depositum, guard the deposit. Yes, the church jealously guards so that she can boldly proclaim, and, and indeed she did, and she did it with supernatural gusto during all these those centuries to which Mr. Weigel happily bids a fond farewell. Just Yeah, it seems like George Weigel is dismissive of everything Catholic before 1965. He talks about uh, Father Perricone. He says, Then there is this. It was, it was time to raise the bastions that Catholicism has erected and turn its robust institutions 
into platforms for evangelization and mission in order to engage a deeply troubled modern world. We expect this kind of cant from self-loathing Catholics, but not from a gifted Catholic intellectual of Mr. Weigel's rank. Was that summons due to a momentary memory lapse? Mr. Weigel pleads for a church to proclaim and compassionately witness the Christian truth for the world's healing and sanctification. Surely Mr. Weigel recalls the global and prodigious efforts of the church in the past centuries doing just that. To name a paltry few, first bullet, the Jesuits' monumental missionary efforts in South America, to say nothing of their staggering accomplishments in covering all of Europe with its finest educational institutions once upon a time. Second bullet, St. Isaac Jogues' heroic efforts to bring the Holy Gospel to the Indians of North America. Third bullet, Father Junipero Serra's breathtaking missionary work and foundations in California. Fourth bullet, the Holy Ghost Father's dazzling missionary and accomplishments in Africa. Fifth bullet, the Marianol Father's dauntless work in China, which accumulated for that order countless number of martyrs. Sixth bullet, innumerable religious orders of women who marched into Africa to open hospitals and schools. Seventh bullet, St. Catherine Drexel's founding of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament specifically to bring the gospel to natives and blacks. Eighth bullet, the St. James Society, which sent scores of work priests to work in the missions of South America. Ninth bullet, Mother Teresa's missionary work in India. Uh, again, this all happened before Vatican II, so much for the fact that the church wasn't evangelizing, because that's the intimation from George Weigel, that the church was not evangelizing, that the church was insulated in itself like a closed fortress and not engaging with the world. I just gave you nine bullets how the church was engaging them with the world and bringing them to Christ. Hey, do you remember the Amazonian Synod, Jess, what uh, they had up at the Vatican? It came out that some of these, these uh, I don't know if it was a bishop or, or some priest, they said they hadn't baptized anybody in the in 30 Amazon. years. In yeah. 30 years. Unbelievable. <laughs> so so they they've lost their zeal. They lost what being a, a you know a religious is all about. Is saving yeah. souls, bringing them to Christ. And it starts with right. baptism. So Father goes on to say was all of this evidence of a church obsessed with guarding antiquity? Perchance, Mr. Weigel, Weigel was thinking of a church insufficiently engaging the world on high intellectual matters. In that case, he certainly must know the amazing philosophical and theological work of Catholic scholars in those fortress years who transformed the intellectual landscape, to cite just a few. Jacques Maritain's guest professorships at Columbia, Princeton, and the University of Chicago, all the while publishing some of the most significant works on St. Thomas Aquinas and influencing entire academic world. Etienne Gilson's guest professorship at Harvard and Sorbonne, as well as delivering the esteemed Gifford lectures at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Next point is Father Stanley Jockey's impressive overture in uh, reconciling physics and sciences with the truths of the faith. And that, that I guess that French word is this, it just means the substantial body of work constituting the life work of a writer, an artist, mm. or a composer. Father Gergou Lagrange, that's a giant in this uh, the Catholic Church, uh, work in Thomistic philosophy and his, on his polemical works, engaging the, the philosophies of the day. And the last point, uh, learned Catholic academic societies in every major scientific, literary, philosophical, and theological discipline. Add this to the impressive work of evangelization, the fact of, of thousands of Catholic schools with an average student population of 1,000 children, seminaries filled to capacity, and novitiates mm. as well, religious brothers conducting some of the finest schools in America. Does all of this sound, this sound like a church enclosed in upon itself? This 
ever mushrooming evidence of Catholic universal reach prompted the imitable Carl Adam to write in his memorable 1934 Spirit of Catholicism. Here's what he wrote. What the church wishes to establish is the fact that human reason, while remaining true to itself, can by its own principles advance to a point where God becomes visible as the fundamental basis and ultimate meaning of all reality, and where knowledge passes over into faith, philosophy into theology. Whenever men have doubted or denied the capacity of the human mind to transcend the limits of experience, whenever they have attempted to paralyze or kill man's profound yearning for absolute truth, when the church has come forward in defense of reason, whether against Averroes, the Muslim, and Luther, or against Kant, the secularist, and the, and, and the more our own age becomes weary of subject idealism and seeks to rediscover the objective world, the more grateful will it be to Pope Pius X that in his much-abused anti-modernist encyclical Pescendi, he denounced all positivism, pragmatism, and phenomenalism and defended the power of reason to tra- transcend and surpass knowledge, experience, excuse me, thus exercising those twin bugbears of solipsism and skepticism, which menace all knowledge. And that basically that means is learning things through experience versus learning things through reason. If Vatican II deserves all the encomia, which means praise, right? You know, when you praise somebody's writings, showered upon it by the old thinking, then how does one explain the censorious comment of Pope Paul VI in 1972 that, quote, the smoke of Satan has entered into the church, close quote, lest I be accused of violating post hoc ergo propter hoc, which means we must be clear that there's no cause, there, that there's no cause effect between Montini's lament, that's Paul VI, and Vatican II. But their uncomfortable proximity raises eyebrows. To quote Mark Twain, history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Clearly the smoke of Satan was not a consequence of Vatican II, but it does seem to rhyme. Now here's, here's the only thing that I would, I, I would disagree with the Father, myself. I actually believe that the smoke of Satan was uh, caused by Vatican II. It was happening before, without a doubt. There was already infiltrators before, but I think the smoke of Satan got hotter at Vatican II. Yeah, we already had communists in the church. Yeah, we already had masons in the church. That's why the Pope wrote an encyclical against modernism. This was already, you know, 60 years before Vatican II. But I think at Vatican II, it was more like the coming out party, uh, like prostitutes at a, at, at a wedding cake at a bachelor's party. Malachi Martin wrote of Wentz Webb House about some of those things that were going on. And uh, the, um, that was, you know, Satanism had already established itself in the Vatican. Yes, yes. Black Mass. Yeah. These are documented. Correct. So he goes on to say, moreover, the vigorous stretching that Pope Benedict XVI performed in articulating a hermeneutic of continuity is a demonstration that Vatican II could not stand alone. It contained undeniable weaknesses. They could only be redressed by supplying the necessary unambiguous statements made by the church's magisterium. Other ecumenical councils never required such embarrassing backtracking. Their reasoning was as tight as a drum and the meaning of their words as clear as the sun. So he goes on to say, isn't it time to move past the old thinking that lauded Vatican II with all due respect to the Second Vatican Council, it does not meet the demands of a secular world that for that for that we need a viral, unequivocal, and full-throated Catholicism. Amen. Yes, take take from Vatican II what was good, but stop the cheerleading. <laughs> it is simply unseemly of an intelligent and faithful Catholic. Mr. Weigel, isn't it time to admit that the bloom has come off the rose? He, now, here are and, four documents, Ruben, that are that 
that many people complain about that are conservative and orthodox and traditional. The Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, first of all, that document really has, it hasn't even been implemented over 50 years later or 60 years now. If you look at Sacrosanctum 54, it says Latin should be kept in the masses and should have pride of place. Uh, paragraph 93 says sacred music, Gregorian chant should be used. That's not being done. Uh, the prayers in the liturgy and the administration of sacraments was th- those prayers were redacted. Why? Because because we had six Protestant ministers as advisors, and we wanted to make the mass more welcoming to Protestants. And uh, as Father Ripperger says, remember you get what you pray for, and you don't get what you don't pray for. If you redact the prayers of the mass, there's going to be an effect. The second document that is problematic is a decree on ecumenism. Why? Because the language was softened in reference to the Protestants and the Orthodox. Uh, you know, we started, uh, you know, we used to call them schismatics and heretics and, before. And the Jews, too. Yeah, and now we were just calling them, uh, you know, separated brethren. Uh, and so this has led to the Novus Ordo Mass looking like a Protestant church service in many parishes. And this is why the bishops have never liked apologetics, by the way, because it reminds them of pre-Vatican II Catholicism. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two man car. Jesus Jesus 911, that's just saying Jesus help. And, and <laughs> exactly, yes. That's exactly what we're Reuben, it actually comes from Psalm 69, verse 2, which reads. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste make to help haste me. Haste to help me. Yeah, Reuben, and we, we we remember when you're a cop and you put out a call for assistance, boy, oh boy, do you got the cavalry coming. I mean, you got you got uh, squad cars rolling from all over the county when you put out a, an assistance call. And that's where we're at right now, Reuben, Psalm 69, verse 2. That's why we call the show... Uh, Jesus 911, because all of us have to look to Jesus, not politics, not philosophy, not poetry, not sports, not the money in your in your bank, not your investments. We've got to look to Jesus for our assistance. Yeah. Uh, Ruben, I, I finished. Jesse, yeah, I was going to say that we when I responded to your calls for assistance, it was no fun <laughs> because we get there and all the bodies would be knocked out already. <laughs> you're getting me. In, hey, Ruben, you're getting me in trouble. <laughs> uh, Oh, they can't, they can't investigate me. I've been out of the department for years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me just make uh, our, our engineers uh, getting the next uh, uh, a short little clip ready of a mom, of a, of a mama bear. I just yeah. want to make a, two more comments about Vatican II, and then we'll just close it off and move into this, this next uh, mama bear's fiery speech against drag shows for kids. The third document that a lot of traditional Catholics have a problem with is the Declaration on the Relation of the Church to Non-Christian Religions. Why? Because the language was softened in this document. And and we've seen, again, like Reuben said in the beginning, you'll know them by their fruits. All you got to see is what comes out of these things. What have we seen as a result of this post-1965 document, Declaration on the Relation to the, of the Church to Non-Christians? Well, the softening of the language, I mean, we used to call them pagans before. <laughs> And now, you know, we, we, we say that we say that they're all our brothers. But as a result of this, 
it gave birth to what, what, the Assisi conferences. And if you don't know what they are, a, a, a very holy pope, but again, this is why there's confession, because even holy popes make mistakes. Um, you can see pictures on the internet, you don't have to believe me, of these ecumenical prayer services inside Catholic churches. Everybody's praying to their own deity, and they're right, right five feet away from the Blessed Sacrament of the Tabernacle. These are the Assisi conferences that Pope John Paul II probably wanting to say, okay, how do we implement this document of Vatican II? Once again, it would, there was a misstep because now we've even gone further. Now we've even gone to the Pachamama idolatry. Now we've even gone to the Canadian uh, indigenous sage and smudgy <clears throat> sessions with Pope Francis. Uh, we've also seen that Pope Francis, the Holy Father now, he uses the term Mother Earth often. That, that's not a term that's, that's used within Christianity, Mother Earth. And, and, and I'll tell you this, I like these popes, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, they, do, they did a lot of good. But again, they're not perfect. They're not, they, they don't walk on water. That's why they went to confession themselves. Because Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis have all allowed themselves to be prayed over by pagans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks, Richel. We'll, we'll be ready right now. So you can see... On the internet, you can type it up yourself, and you can see that they've they've stooped their head before pagans and had pagans lay hands on them. There's no way that the vicar of Christ should let anybody lay hands on him other than God. There's no higher authority than the vicar of Christ. To bow your head before somebody, that means you're submitting to their authority, and there's no higher authority than the Roman pontiff. So right. again, the, the these these practices, Reuben, come from... Those, la- those document, the decree on ecumenism and the declaration on the relation of the church to non-Christian religions. Once again, as I said, we no longer use the word pagan, which is what we used to use to define them before 1965. And we used to also use this phrase constantly. Psalm 95, verse 5 in the Dewey Reims, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. We don't say that in Vat- post-Vatican II anymore. You have to hear programs like this to say, hey, what is Reuben and Jesse saying? They're quoting Psalm. Well, I never heard that before. Here's the last thing I want to mention, the last document that's, uh, and, and I'm kind of mixed on this document. I think I, could, I, think, I, think I can kind of defend it. Uh, many traditional Catholics have a problem with the Declaration of Religious Freedom, and uh, I don't have a problem with it, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Prior popes, it's true that prior popes condemned religious liberty for fear of, indi- of religious indifferentism and also doctrinal moral relativism. So it's true. So before Vatican II, the popes used to teach, error has no rights. But after Vatican II now, there's been a modified, there's been a modification. Now it's, what's taught is error has no rights, but people in error do have rights. Hmm. So prior to Vatican II, the Catholic Church looked like a fortress church, okay? Uh, you know, oftentimes they accused us of standing in opposition to the modern world and rejecting all new ideas and holding to the principle of error has no rights. Now, I'll tell you why we can teach that before, especially under the Holy Roman Empire. When there was no separation of church and state, to offend, to to start speaking theological error, uh, was also to attack the state, because the the religion, the church, and the state were wedded for, for hundreds of years, called the Holy Roman Empire. But in America... Catholicism is not the religion of the United States. Neither is Protestantism, okay? And so uh, 
in America, in other words, that document or or that has no teeth anymore. Europe has been broken up. They're all divided into their own little vassal states with their own presidents. They're not really under the Pope any longer. And so that that, uh, quip, heir has no rights, that worked when the church basically, uh, through Western civilization and through architecture and culture and through the mass, the church basically controlled a large portion of the world. So in those countries, the church says, yeah, you're not going to teach error in these countries. But the fact is, uh, as a result of Masonic teachings, there is no se- there is a separation now between church and state. And so that's an unenforceable phrase, error has no rights. So it's been modified. Error has no rights, but people in error do have rights. Uh, I kind of go back and forth on that because, like, for example, I would wish that Satanists would have no rights in the U.S. But again, the United, if I had the, the power to do so, I would do that. And I would make sure that witches would have no rights in the U.S. to speak, and, and other people as well. But since this is not a Catholic country, this is not run by the Catholic Church, uh, I think this is why Vatican II modified that statement. Ruben, that's my take. Yeah, I, the, you know, the, I have a big problem with the, with the, the document on ecumenism. Because it should, it should be really called false ecumenism. Because that every Catholic was, you know, they must. We have to favor true ecumenism, which aims at bringing, you know, non-Catholics back to the church. You know, yeah. Um, it's it's nothing less than uh, indifferentism, justice. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and the our separated brethren, as they say, you know, they, they were they were against the traditional liturgy, of course. So. You know, if Vatican II wanted to uh, bring, try to minimize anything that separates us from our dearly beloved separated brethren. And it was the Trinity Mass, Jesse, that remained the universal form of worship within the, the, the Roman Rite. And um, and with that, there was no hope or possibility of ecumenical progress. And, you know, as Luther remarked, yeah, it's yeah. stank of sacrifice. That's what Luther <laughs> said. It's stank of sacrifice. <laughs> And the doctrine of the sacrifice of the math, mass is anathema to Protestants of every denomination. That's true. You're right. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Uh, Ruben, in, in, in my defense of that, only one thing I'll say in defense of that document, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw an experience. You and, you and I, we worked along, along a lot of good Protestant cops. These guys mm-hmm. had our back. They were Jesus-loving Protestants. You and me would have given our life for them. They would have given their life for you if need be. Now... When you're in a car with them or you're working the jail or a courthouse, you can't be walking around and saying, hey, heretic, come over here. Pass me the, you know, the clipboard. Of course not. <laughs> hey, hey, heretic, here, uh, put out this broadcast. Nope. Um, and so I got no problem calling a Protestant a separated brother. And I'll tell you why. Because a lot of these guys were born into Protestant denominations through no fault of their own. Their daddy was a Baptist. Their grandpa was a Baptist. Yeah. Their great-grandfather was a Baptist. They don't know any different. They, they just were born into it. It's more of a traditional thing. So, you know, pre-Vatican II, I'd be calling this guy in a police car with me. Hey, hey, heretic, give me that cup of coffee. Hey, heretic. And, and I, I'm okay with saying, hey, separated brother, give me that cup of coffee. And let's uh, go to the next call. So I, I'm okay. I get it. They are heretics theologically. I get it. But that's not a way to evangelize somebody by insulting them first. But I do. And- theologically, they are material heretics. I don't know if they're formal heretics because I don't know what's in their heart. 
probably the, the former heretic heretics are, the, are those the reformers, you know, the Catholics that left the church and are, the, become anti-Catholics. Yeah, I think the pastors, the ones that know better, the ones that have studied and went to seminary, those are former heretics. They know which church Jesus started and they know which is the true church. Hey, we only got two, a couple of minutes. Hey, Mr. Engineer, can you put on that mom's, mom's fiery speech against drag show for kids? I just want to know what it is uh, that makes a drag show family friendly. Because if you follow it to its logical conclusion, you can slap family friendly titles on anything. You can have family friendly gentlemen's clubs, family friendly strip shows, family friendly Fifty Shades of Grey read alouds. Will you appro- approve my flyer if I want to host in all the sex secrets of the Kama Sutra for kids and families? If it's family friendly. It's my question. Wow. Uh, what is it about a grown man? And I honestly, sincerely, as a woman, mean this. What is it about a grown man costumed in a sparkly bra with augmented boobs busting out, a leather miniskirt barely covering his twerking ass with tuck tape on his front <laughs> while spreading his fish netted legs as he writhes on the ground, grinding his groin next to a minor? Family friendly. You owe us an answer. Mm-hmm. No. And you know, you don't get to hide by just taking something down off Peachtree and calling it a day. You owe an explanation right. and an apology. You all got down. And while we have a culture that has a massive problem with child porn, with sex trafficking, you, a little school district board of adults, made the decision to feature an event to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's rumor. You all played the activist Jesus, one. for an aligned we'll right surgical back. center Stick and around. for we'll a 21 right plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps and we won't have those sitting on a... Now, back to Jesus yeah. 911. If this call is not an emergency, yeah. dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Two-man car, Jesse. Um, hey, Rich, Richard, Inc., you know what? If you could put the video on again, it's worth listening to a second time. I know because we put it I just want to know late. what it is uh, that makes a drag show family friendly. Because... If you follow it to its logical conclusion, you can slap family-friendly titles on anything. You can have family-friendly gentlemen's clubs, family-friendly strip shows, family-friendly Fifty Shades of Grey read-alouds. Will you approve my flyer if I want to host in all the sex secrets of the Kama Sutra for kids and families if it's Mm family-friendly? That's my question. Uh, What is it about a grown man? And I honestly, sincerely, as a woman, mean this. What is it about a grown man costumed in a sparkly bra with augmented boobs busting out a leather miniskirt barely covering his twerking ass with tuck tape on his front while spreading his fish netted legs as he writhes on the ground grinding his groin next to a minor family friendly you owe us an answer and you know you don't get to hide by just taking something down off peach tree and calling it a day you owe an explanation and an apology problem with child porn, with sex trafficking, you, a little school district board of adults, made the decision to feature an event to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's groomer. You all played the activist pimp 
for an Align Surgical Center, and for a 21 plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps, and we won't have those sitting on a school board who oversees the education of our children. You all stepped out of line. You should be ashamed. There is nothing loving. There is nothing. Let's unite and include, because the logical conclusion of that is you end up in diabolical evil. There are boundaries, and you don't slap family-friendly titles on stuff to cover your ass. Ruben, you know, I think it's this topic right here that may cause the Democrats their election. Because I, I think this is a topic, that it's not so much, it, the abortion issue, is, it, it, it rates way down when you look at polls from both the left and the right. But this is the issue, it's gas, uh, groceries, rent, inflation, and this issue of what they're doing, they're grooming our kids in the schools, this is what got gots independence, and even a lot of Democrats uh, looking at voting for the Republican candidate. Yeah, Jess, um, this is uh, this this lady, Brittany Meyer. She's she's talking about the Encinitas Union School District's plans to have this family friendly Halloween drag show. Tucker Carlson had him on his show. I had her on his show, and she pointed out that this was promoted by a gender reassignment clinic out of San Francisco and an over 21 gay nightclub in San Diego. So that's who's promoting this kind of this drag show. So that tells you everything you need to know. Why would the school board allow something like this uh, being put on by these two uh, entities? You know, uh, they have just lost their marbles, Jesse, and they're, they're in, in, in bed with these uh, these pedophiles and these people that want to uh, promote uh, adult child sex. That's what it is, is normalizing, yes. trying to normalize everything yes. and grooming these children to, to uh, get to sexualize them. And it just disgusts me to, to no end, Jesse. Ruben, years ago, in, in the age of common sense and reason, you would have had uniformed officers. They would have walked into the school. They would have handcuffed that he she and they would have taken him to him her to jail for uh for indecent it was called indecent exposure that's what it used to be called taking your clothes off and 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 showing your body parts or gyrating your body parts would have been an arrestable offense in a time of common sense now uh again because the left has been trying through all these sexologists, through uh, NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association, uh, you have these powerful pedophilia groups that are also, again, they, they also are, are, are backed up by, you know, you know, doctors at John Hopkins University, uh, world-renowned sexologists that work at these hospitals. They're trying to normalize adult-child sex relations. That's what this is all about. They're, they're grooming them. And I remember, I can't find the article. I remember about 20-some years ago, Pope Benedict XVI, I read a, a statement that he made. He was talking about this 20-some-odd years ago. He said, in the future, he said, uh, he said, in Western culture, they are going to try to normalize pedophilia 
adult sex relationship, and we must fight it with, with maximum determination. He's, he warned us like 20, 25 years ago. When I read that, I said, oh, Pope Benedict, he's just off right here. This is never going to happen in America. I don't know what the Holy Father, maybe he's, maybe he's kind of old now. Maybe his brain isn't working. There's no way, there's no way Western civilization is going to try to normalize this. Well, guess what? I'm eating my words. Pope Benedict XVI was absolutely spot on, and I was wrong. Jesse, well, when you're president, uh, Sleepy Joe, um, Sleepy Joe, he's in, in uh, October 5th, 2021, he, he, he had Attorney General Merrick Garland, he, he called on the FBI to use its authority against parents who threatened to use violence against public school officials in a, in a, mem- in a Monday memorandum. He also said, Garland said that there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, t- intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators board members, teachers, and staff. And w- when they're doing what they're doing, it's no, no wonder, you know, uh, you, people are calling them out and, and, uh, and now, and, and they're getting in trouble because of the, uh, the three, the three letter uh, entity FBI is, is coming after mm. them. And um, so some people are afraid to speak up, but it's, it's past that. We, we've got to stand up, especially if I had young kids in school, I would be exactly. there. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so you're right. Yeah, Ruben, for young families, the only option right now is homeschool them if you can, or put them in a private academy, some type of private Catholic academy. Yeah. Uh, And if you're going to put them in Catholic school, I would be there and I would read all the curriculum. I would get to know all the teachers. Mm -hmm. And I would be Mrs. Busybody at all the PTA, PTO meetings or PTA. But at this point, if you're Catholic, I just wouldn't have them in a public school system because our public school systems are woke. They've lost their common sense. But I'm going to tell you, this lady here, this is a uh, this is a modern day Joan of Arc, and and God bless her for speaking up like this. It's going to take mama bears like her and papa bears who love their children, who love truth, that are going to be willing to stand up and combat evil in the schools and when. They could turn this around just like over in Dearborn, Michigan. They started teaching woke curriculum in Dearborn, Michigan. Well, guess what happened? 500 Muslim men went over to the school board meeting. And guess what? The school board backed down. They said, yeah. uh, yeah, we're not going to argue with people that yell, Allah Ahu Akbar, Allah Ahu Akbar, and they back down. That's what's going to take. Catholic Christians and Protestants are going to have to do the same thing. Well, Jesse, they don't want to offend the Muslims, but Christians, yeah. it's open season, not Christians. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, we have to call them out, vote them off the board. They have no business being on the board, you know, uh, and, and put so much heat on them that they either they they, they step down or they get voted off in the next election. So um, parents, if you're listening to this and you've got young kids, you got to stay in the fight and, and get in there and and know exactly what's going on. See what kind of books are in the libraries of your children's school. See what the the curriculum is that that your, your teachers are submitting. Uh, I mean, you know, critical race theory is another one that's threatening our schools and and uh, again, Merrick Garland, uh, he's instructed the FBI to mobilize against parents who oppose critical race theory in public schools, c- citing threats. You know, someone like that lady there, you know, 
she, because she's she's heated and she's talking loud they could they could perceive that as a threat but she, there was there was no language in saying that she if you continue we're going to do this or that there was it wasn't uh it wasn't like that at all but these i, I can imagine being a, a board member you're sitting on the the dais there and <clears throat> they probably felt oh they felt, felt the heat you know and so, and uh and i'm glad they did and yeah. and all i can say is god bless this woman uh praise this courageous woman for standing up for the best interests of our children because remember she probably knows this that God created us in his image. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't support the ideologies that we all have the free will to change our bodies from man to woman and vice versa. Uh, uh, this woman has the right attitude. Remove your kids from these schools or start a new school with like-minded people. Homeschool. Uh, take your kids out of any school system that's pushing this woke ideology that has transgender Men that think they're women with, uh, you know, with with tight clothes on, with all their body parts popping out. Uh, You can't have your kids in these schools if you're a Catholic Christian. Uh, Homeschool your kids if you can. And we've got to vote these losers out of office. Just so so we would have brought these these queens into the into the workplace. We would be they'd slap a sexual harassment charge on us. But yet they could take them into the schools with our children. It makes no sense whatsoever. And um, uh, it, yeah. we, we've, we've got a crisis, a crisis of faith, basically, in, in, the, in this country. And we've got to get back to, uh, to following uh, Jesus and Our Lady yeah. and St. Joseph. We need help. Amen. So. We need help from the Holy Family. You know, Ruben, I hope I'm wrong, but I suspect that the uh, Biden's Gestapo, I won't mention their three, the three letters, We'll be paying her a visit for interfering in the dis- <laughs> for interfering in the school uh, meeting. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, again, as Catholics, remember: <clears throat> keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep the Fatima message. Pray a rosary every day. Live in a state of sanctifying grace. Go to mass as often as possible. <clears throat> Read your Bible more than you watch the news. Read spiritual reading. Put good things into the, your interior, into your soul. And right. remember: pursue a life of virtue and holiness. Holiness first before all else. Ruben, take it away. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out. So be on top of your game as Catholics. You've got to stay in the fight. You, you know, we're at war right now, spiritual warfare. So pray your rosary and uh, get to mass, get to adoration. God we're love done. you. We're done. EOW, end of watch. Up next, Gary Machuda. We're 10-7. We're out. God bless you. Keep the faith. Take care. God bless you.